you open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 12, and we'll go through verse 17 this morning. You know, we've had this, this uh, uh, last few Sundays, John has really challenged us on these ideas of testing and, and having confidence in the fact that we're growing, our growing in sanctification, our growing in holiness has become a wonderful assurance that we can have. And last week we, we talked about love, or our love for our brothers, our love for our sisters, and what that looks like in our lives. And, and, and you know, John has taken both these, what we've called tests, right? To know that you're in the faith. And he's, he's taken these tests and he's saying, if these things are at work in you, you know, if there's a demonstration of it, if there's a hunger for these things, if you're progressing in these things, you should have confidence and assurance. And he kind of comes to this part of the scripture. You would think he might carry on with this kind of thing, but he kind of he pauses on this idea of tests. And, and maybe he's thinking that, you know, maybe I've, I'm, I'm coming on a little too hard here, right? And he kind of has this, this encouragement, if you will. These verses we'll look at are, are kind of a wonderful change. And if you kind of walk through what we, we've done, he's, he's talked about fellowship. He's, he's told us that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And it sets up the importance of uh, the cross. And, of course, he talks about sin, right? If we say we're in the light and walk in darkness. If we say we have not sinned. If we say we have no sin. And he has a response to all those. And of course, he's dealing with the Gnostics who are, who are in there creating confusion, and he's challenging the church, hey, stick with it. And he kind of comes to the end of the, of the chapter 1, and in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, hey, if, if someone has sinned, right, we have an advocate. You know, we have Christ the righteous. We have the propitiation. We have God's means that fixes our problem. And John is saying, this is, this is it. And, and then he encourages us and says, hey, if, if this, if you have him, here's some things that you can lean upon and trust that, right, is, is proofs, assurance that we know that we know him because these things are quite contrary to the world, right? Growing in righteousness is not what we see, unfortunately, in our world. And he comes to this passage today in, in what I've called you and the world. And he's going to challenge us on how we're growing and, and how we're acting. Uh, with what is happening around us. You know, I saw this, uh, I heard of this story of a teacher who had asked his students, you know, is the, is the world round? And the student said, no, it is not round. <clears throat> and the teacher thought, well, that's, I guess I'm dealing with something unique here, right? So he said, uh, well, is the, is the earth flat then? Assuming that's what the student would say. And, and the students responded again, no, the, the, the earth is not flat either. So the, the teacher's thinking to himself that, well, I've got, I've got a ringer here. I've got something quite unique happening. And, and he goes on and says, well, if the world is not round and not flat, then what is the world? And the student responds and says, the world is crooked. <laughs> Absolutely. All right? To which we say, yeah, amen. And it is broken. We might add other adjectives to that. And it is hurting. And, of course, the things that are happening we see in our world. And so we come to this, and, and John is, is, is writing to these, these believers, and he's saying, hey, look, um, in the passage we pick up, beginning in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, forgiven you, and for his name's sake, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, 
and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you for this time you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you would turn our attention to you. Um, fix, Lord, our eyes and our lives upon you. And uh, give us ears to hear this morning that we'd apply this word to our lives, that we would grow uh, Lord, in that, in our righteousness, that we would grow in our sanctification. And Lord, as always, I ask you, take me out of the way and let every thought and eye be fixed completely upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come to this passage, and John, has, has, as I said earlier, he's, he's kind of hit us with some tests, and maybe he's thinking that, man, maybe I'm, I'm kind of hitting him kind of hard. Maybe there's, there's some within the church body who's saying, man, I'm really struggling with growing in righteousness, right? Maybe there's some who's saying these, are, these commands are difficult to follow. Maybe, maybe they're, they're, you know, John's desire that you would have assurance. Maybe there's, there's thoughts of those who are thinking, um, you know, maybe I'm not it. Maybe I'm not a part of it. You know, you got to realize that John is writing to a group of people where he thinks some are, in fact, are, 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 are there, but they are not believers. He goes on, he'll say later in chapter 2, they went out from us because they were not of us. Right? And he's talking to these Gnostic people who've come on the scene who say there is a, there's a better way, right? There's a better way to Christianity. There's a, a 2.0 version, right? If you just get the update, um, not quite like that, I'm sure. There was different language. But this is what is happening, and he's, and he's engaging them. But maybe he's coming to this place here where he's thinking, maybe I've, maybe I've kind of been a little too harsh. And maybe I need to, to interject some encouragement. And that's what he does with these verses. And my first point with this, and, and by way of what I, I'll talk about here, is what I'm saying is what you should be doing. John is saying this is what you should be doing. We've talked about righteousness, this test of righteousness. We've talked about this test of love. But then he kind of goes on to this idea of growing, right, of developing, he says, and these are the verses 12 through 14, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven uh, are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him. It's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. Right? The Word of God abides in you. You've overcome the wicked one. So he says he has three groups of people, but he, he lists them twice, which is kind of interesting. Right? And we want to, the first thing that we want to understand out of this is that John is, is he's covering everybody. This isn't a moment where, John, where we are to think that, well, if my neighbor would just figure that out or, or develop, you know, as we get into this text, he's not saying that, that we should be looking at others. It's always easier to point out the flaws and the difficulties in others. And some of you continue to pray, right? I wish they, my, my, my friend here next to me would figure this thing out. And sometimes we have that prayer. And that might be a true prayer, right? But John is not concerned with, with you thinking of others. John is very concerned with you thinking of you. And his desire is that each of us would come face to face with this living God who is light. And there is no darkness in him. That we would come face to face with what we call sin and how we deal with it squarely. And here, once again, he comes and he's, he kind of covers 
the church family. So I want to walk through this. The first one I'm just putting is when he talks about um, little children, he's talking about new believers, those who would be spiritually young in the faith. He uses the word little children. It's a term of endearment, right? He's genuine. He's concerned. He loves the fact that there are those who are coming. And you have to remember that this is all brand new to them. This isn't like, hey, we, we have the New Testament with us and we have all these things throughout church history and, and others we can lean upon. This is brand new. They are holding on to the, to the Old Testament and they're clinging to John's letter here and they're trying to figure this out, right? So you got to remember that. This is what's happening. And he comes and says, hey, there are new believers. There are those who are, who are new to the faith. And what does he mean by that? These are the ones who have come to believe in Christ. These are the ones who know Jesus as Savior, Right? And he tells them what? Right? I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Amen. These are the ones who have who've cling to the means, right? The propitiation that Jesus is, that John has just talked about. These are the ones who, who our sins are forgiven in his name's sake. Right? This is new to every, every person who knows Christ as Lord and Savior has this moment. Right? These are the two things you learn when salvation happens. There are two things that you understand quite clearly. There is a God. He is real. And I am a sinner. Right? Those are the two things everyone knows at that moment. Right? And as it moves forward, we realize that God, who is real, has provided the means for me that I might be saved. And this is what John is saying. There are those who are new believers. They are dear children, right? We've come to profess. They've come to know God. They realize that this is God who has done it. Paul says it like this in chapter 8, verses 15 through 16 of Romans. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So John says this. It's not to point out that they are not saved, but then in fact that they are you can see that there may be these tests for these new believers. Maybe there's questions, and they're thinking, man, I'm, I don't think I'm doing it right. Maybe I don't know Christ. And he writes to encourage and to affirm and says, yes, yes, if you're new to the faith, your sins are forgiven. And everyone said, amen, right? We love that, and it's in his name. So he first begins, he talks about the new believer. John kind of shifts gear. He doesn't go chronology, if you will, in order, but he jumps to the fathers, whom he calls the fathers. And this is what I'm calling the mature believer. All right? He says in verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And in verse 14, he says, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And we see what's interesting is we do see a change in, in the tense, right? I write to you and I have written, right? He is reaffirming what he is saying about these things and he is stressing it. And there's a difference here between the new believers, right, who have their sins forgiven, who are known by the Father and the mature believer knows, right? He walks with, he spends time with. He's gone through life. This believer has walked through life, has walked through some experiences, and has tasted and seen that God is good, that God supports, that God is constant. Right? This is, these are the kind of believers I love using the illustration in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Who share this, this story, and they're, they're commanded to bow down. And they say, you know what? Even if my God doesn't deliver me, he's able, he's able no problem, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. I equate that with a believer who understands with wonderful resolve and confidence. 
God is sovereign. Even in the context of our life, the things that we see unfolding in our society, it takes mature believers to say, even in this, God has a purpose and a plan. And that may be a very difficult statement to say in the middle when someone is broken. But there is a resolve and a confidence in someone who has walked with the Lord and says, you know what, he will not depart us. Though it may feel he is far away, he is a God who is faithful to his word. And he is always, always with us. I'll never leave you. Never forsake you. It takes a mature believer to look at the world this way. To be confident in this way. And John quite frankly just points it out. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. There is a continuous walk. There is a revealing of this is who God is. I look back on my life and I see, yes, he's done that. He's been faithful here, absolutely. Moving forward, he'll be faithful here too. It takes a mature believer. And this is what John is saying. We see the extremes, right? We see the new believer, new to the faith. Your sins are forgiven. You know the Father. Then we have these on the other side who who are, are there, right? I've walked in life. I've walked through some things. I've endured some struggles. I've taken some hits. But God has been faithful. And he's my joy, and it right, that comes right back to the beginning of John's letter, right? Our joy is in God. My purpose is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. That takes a mature believer. I want to point out, just so you know, that, that there are some of us here this morning who are new to the faith. Some have been walking a long time. So you might, might feel that uh, that pertains to you. I want to stress the idea that, that you never arrive. We never get to a point where it's like, finally, I don't have to read my Bible anymore. Okay, don't let that thought creep in, right? We are in process, and Paul says in, in Philippians 1.6, right, he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. Completion happens on the day of Christ. Okay, so you're in process. We never, ever arrive. So when we use this word mature believer, what I mean by that is you have spent time, you have walked with, okay? And then he goes on to what he calls or uses the word young men. And this is what, I, what I'm simply saying, maturing believers, Right? This would be the majority of us, maybe this morning, if you walk with the Lord for a little, a little while. But John says that he, he shares the most, if you will, with these, what he calls young, young men, right? In, in verse 13, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. And if you jump down to verse 14, the second half, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So John expands this, right? Most likely, he's probably believing the majority of people find themselves here, right? We've, we've believed on Christ that pertains to every single one of us. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm maturing in my faith, right? Which I would say most of us or all of us were probably there. None of us would probably get to the point of feeling that we've completely uh, mature in it, but definitely those marks might be in some of us. But John, he extends this or expands this. And let's look at these things that, that are marks that we want to see because what he's, in, what he's doing is encouraging us to keep moving forward. If you're new to the faith, hey, that's, that's great. Your sins are forgiven. You know the Father. Let's move forward. Let's start maturing in our faith. And that's his, his, his encouragement. And so he says the first thing is they are strong. Right? He gives us, hey, he points it out. They are strong. They've already attained. And it's interesting, John, he might assume that, but he doesn't assume that, right? He doesn't think, well, they're strong. He just, he points it out to us, right? They have attained a wonderful understanding of God. They've, they've walked, they've been down the road a little ways with the Lord, 
right? And they're able to meet Satan's attacks, the wicked one. There's a, there's a wonderful confidence that comes in that, right? And John is indicating a continuing result of past action. I've, I've walked through this. I've seen this. I see it continuing in my life. I am maturing. They've overcome the wicked one. So he says they are strong. Then he gives us reasons why they are strong. Why are they strong? They're not strong in themselves, right? They're mature enough to know that this, this battle, this war, and this thing that I'm going through, I'm not going to conquer it by myself. I am going to yield to God, right, and trust that his word is abiding. It's abiding in me, that God's, right, the word of God abides in them, in you, if you're maturing, right? There's a dependency upon that. So what do we have from this? They are strong because they understand the gospel. They've grabbed hold of the essential truths of the gospel. They are seeing it in action in their lives. It's being lived out, and they are growing in it and trusting in it. They've incorporated, right, the, the, the commands that John has talked about. They're bringing these things into their lives. They see an obedience to God, a surrendering to the, the truth of his word. There's a growing love, right, for the church, for their brothers, their sisters, and they use their knowledge for that. Psalms 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Right? Yes, we're growing in this. They are strong. Here's why they are strong. And then John shares the results. Right? They've overcome the wicked one. This is a result in your life. There should be victory for the believer. And I think this is a point of emphasis. Right? Where John repeats some of these things. That there is a development. It's not just that I know Christ and that I understand this, that Jesus has died on a cross for my sins and I have this great joy and that is wonderful. But yet there should be a moving forward and there should be victories maybe over some of the things that are clinging on to me that are, that are holding me down as I run this race. I'm, I'm growing in my maturing and I'm beginning to cast these things off that are slowing me down and I'm, I'm understanding that. But in the Christian, right, in your life, there should be victory. John expects that. He says you're strong. God's word abides in you. You understand the gospel. There should be a victory attached to that. That's a good thing too, right? That's a good thing, right? Some of us maybe this morning are feeling the weight of it, and this is why John is writing it. There is victory for you, right? And, and part of that maturing is understanding you're not going to do it. The word of God that dwells in you, that abides in you, Right? His spirit that is rich. Spirit that is leading. See, those, those growing right, in the faith understand that it's not an end. It's not just to know Christ and be saved and go, well, I've got my ticket to ride, so I'm, I'm okay. Right? No. There are those who take sin seriously. He's talked about it all in chapter 1. Right? They're growing in this. They're calling it what it is. We're going to mature. We're going to move forward. And that, that moment when I blow it, a mature believer says, you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm going to repent and move forward. I use this illustration often. I've never met a person who's gotten a flat tire, hopped out and popped the other three and thought it was useless. <laughs> never seen a person go, well, let's forget it. Let's just, you know, light the car on fire, burn it to the ground, walk away. I've never seen a person do that. But in our spiritual walk, right, sometimes we do that. I've, I've sinned and guess what? I can't go to church can't go to my life group. I can't even pray. We talked about sin. What does sin do? We begin to rationalize things. It separates us from God. That's what sin does. And if you see that in your life, a separation from the truths of God's word should be an indicator. It's time to, for a prayer and repentance. 
Okay, and John is saying the mature believer, when they have a flat tire, they don't get out. They pop the other three, they re- repent, right? Fix it. We trust in God because God's word abides in them, abides in you. You know, it's wonderful to think about the means in which God has given us. So you think about a new believer, a maturing believer, and a mature believer. What has God given us and given the church that those who are outside of the faith can come to know him? We know he's given us his word. He's given us prayer, right? He's given us the sacraments. He's given us communion where we remember what Christ has done. He's given us baptism where we hear the testimonies of others and we're encouraged and we see that those who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and we understand that promise that he is with us. This is what God has given his church. This is how God changes lives. And if this is how God changes lives and how we come into be part of the family, how we come to know Christ, then clearly this is what God has given you to help you mature. He's given you his word. Spend time in it, right? He's given you the gift of prayer in the name of Christ. We can come into his throne room of grace, take advantage of it. He's given us the sacraments in the church when we worship, when we remember what Christ has done. Yeah, he did that for you, for me. We hear the testimonies. We get encouraged. These are the means in which God changes lives. It's unfortunate today in our world we see so many people clinging to other things, right? I see so many churches clinging to other things. How important is the gospel? It's so important. We should never be ashamed of it. It is the power of God to change lives. Francis Schaeffer said this quote talking about what other churches, and he says it's unfortunate, but he goes on and he makes this quote, you know, unfortunate in the sense that churches are clinging or trying to use other means. He says, tell me what the world is saying today, and I'll tell you what the church will be saying in seven years. The means in which God has given you to, to be a new believer, the means in which God has given you to mature in your belief and to come to that point as a mature believer, it's God's word, prayer sacraments. These things never change. So this is what John is saying. He's interjecting, going, here's what you are to be doing. You are to be moving forward, right? So the challenge for us is to find out where we're at. We have to assess if I'm new to the faith, well, it's time to start maturing. If I'm maturing in the faith and maybe I'm stuck, it's time to figure out what has got me stuck. Spend some time in prayer and begin to trust and see that the Lord is good. And if we get to that point where where we can be or feel that we've matured in the faith and my question to you is, how are you helping others? We need each other to move forward. And John says, this is what you are to be doing. And then he sets that over against my next point where he says, what you are or should be avoiding. Why is it important you mature? Because you have to assess this world and look at it for what it is and stay away from it. He says, beginning in verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He explains, what is the world? For all that, is, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of the world. And the world is passing away, and all its lusts of it, and all the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So John says, it's important that you're growing and you're developing. Why? Because you're in the world. You're in this world, and hopefully you're not of this world. Right? That's our challenge. And so it's important for us to understand that how is John using this word? How is John coming across as, as um, the definition of that? Right? The word in Greek is cosmos. 
right? That's the word. That's the word he uses. It's cosmos, which simply means the universe. So we look at that and go, well, if that's the definition, then, then we know from, from the other parts of Scripture that we are to enjoy that this world is created by God and acknowledge his, his uh, creation and, and be thankful for it. So clearly that's not how John is using this word. It can be defined also as kind of the world of men, right? A population. He's talking about the human race. And so we realize if John is talking about the human race, well, what, what has God done for the human race? Well, we realize that God had loved it so much that he sends his one and only begotten son, right? We realize it's the object of God's saving purposes. We see, as John told us, that Jesus gave himself as a propitiation, the means which we might be saved, that Christ might become the Savior. So our response to that definition is what? Evangelism. We see this in the Great Commission. We want to see non-believing people become committed followers of Jesus Christ. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, right? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So clearly that's not what John is, is meaning. If we say we're not to love this world, and, and my last one here is what I think what he's getting at is, is an ethical dimension. He's speaking of the world again as the world of men, but it's the world of men who are in rebellion against God. The world of men who are uh, characterized as in opposition to God. We might refer to this, maybe you've heard of it, the world system, right? The worldview that is predominant in our society, right? It involves the values of the world, the pleasures of the world, the pastimes and aspirations of the world. John is saying this, you are in this world, you're to love it as creation, you're to have a, an evangelistic attitude towards those who are lost, but you are not to love the things of this world. We realize from Scripture that this world lies in the grip of the evil one. They have rejected Jesus, right? The fact that he came, or maybe they admit he came, but he was a prophet or just a good man. They don't know him. They're very agitated, and a lot of people are, against him, and therefore they're very difficult and aggressive against those who profess him. We see this in our world. So John's response is part of your maturing and growing is to acknowledge these things for what they are and to reject the world. Reject this mentality, this worldview, and this completely different set of values. John says you need to stay away from these things. This becomes a, another indicator for us of walking in the faith, of trusting in God. And he speaks to really the, the mentality or the attitude behind these things, right? He speaks like of material. Material in and of itself is, is not bad, right? But we turn that into materialism or some type of, of coveting idea, then it's, it's, it's different. And we realize that a poor person can struggle with materialism, right? And a rich person may not struggle with that. So he's not talking about material, but he's He's talking about the attitude behind it. Your love over and against the love of God. And so he gives some reasons. You're maturing in your faith. We've, we've come to know as a new believer, we're maturing believers. We're hopefully we're growing to this point of being a mature believer. And he says there are reasons, church, that you should not love the world. And he gives us a couple of them. And the first one I, I put down is, is we're incompatible with it. A Christian is just simply incompatible with the world. See, it's impossible to love both, right? To love this world and love God. 
You just can't. You can't do that. Once you understand you're growing in your faith and you understand what it means to be a follower, to, to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after Christ, well, that's completely contrary. Right? We talked about this test of righteousness. Why does that become a proof of your faith in God? Because it's so contrary to the world. You simply are incompatible with the world. Jesus says it like this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's quite simple, right? To the point. It's hard to misunderstand that you cannot serve both. So John kind of spells it out for us, right? So here it is, and he says, look, in, in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, is of the world. So these become indicators for us to help us grow in our maturity. Maybe there's areas where we need to cast off and be aware of. And the first one he says is the lust of the flesh. And the word for this really is hedonism. It's the pursuit of pleasure, uh, sensual self-indulgence, right? He uses the word flesh, the lust of the flesh. And we may think here of, of, of maybe the grosser sins, right? We think of those words, we may think of very um, uh, pagan, very, um, I'll just use the word gross, right? Gross sins. But John uses this kind of in a broader implication. He, he's challenging these believers to think, well, I, I don't do that, so I'm okay. But he's, remember, he's getting to the mentality behind some of this. How does this creep in? How do we keep our guard up? How do we become aware of it? If it's the lust of the flesh, And I think his understanding is the, the broader implication that the whole human nature, right, anything that is contrary or opposed to the grace of God in Christ, right, flesh is understood as in the broader sense that all that is godless, all those things that operate that way, any godless desires, John would say this is probably the lust of your flesh. It doesn't necessarily demonstrate itself in maybe some of these grosser sins that we would obviously point out and say, well, I don't want any part of that. But maybe there's areas in our life where we're, we're allowing, right, things to creep in that are oblivious to God or we don't, we, maybe we try to hide them or, or, con, or conceal them in some way. And John says, you need to be aware of this. The obvious ones are easy. See that for what it is. But it can be very subtle. They can creep in. So he says, this is the lust of the flesh. And he goes on and expands this, right, the lust of the eyes. This is the idea of coveting. You're coveting something, right? Here the word for this is materialism, right? To consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. And again, we want to understand the broader sense, right? This is the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe you've heard that saying, right? Well, the neighbor has this. He's got the new car. Well, man, we better go get a new car. Right? Well, he's got this nice home over here, a vacation cottage, and so on. He's got material this, and pretty soon we're creating our list of desires. Right? And we may say in and of themselves, material is not evil, but yet our love for that and our coveting of that and our comparison is devoid of the truth of God. And John is saying that needs to be cast aside. Be content with who you are. Trust in what the Lord has given to you. Proverbs 17, 24 says, Wisdom is in the sight of him who, under, who has understanding. 
But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. How does this creep in? Well, maybe there's a status change at work. Or maybe I covet that new promotion. It can be seen that way. Maybe there's a position in the community or some type of a, a social acceptance. Well, if I just do this, my peers will accept me. And, man, I can be in the right group and I can have those right things. Now, in and of themselves, they may not be bad, but if that motive is there, if you're lusting and coveting this, John is saying, that's not, that's, not how the, that's not how the Father functions. That's how the world functions. Why should we be maturing? Because these creep in. He says, don't have any part of them. Don't have any part of this. The Christian is not to love those things. We should be content if we're overlooked for a promotion. That sounds difficult. We acknowledge, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Do without external symbols or successes. Be thought unsophisticated if that contributes to the glory of God, of living something out, of demonstrating God's love. It becomes important. John says these can creep in. The obvious ones are, are, are just that. They're obvious. But how do the other ones creep in? He says be aware of this. And of course the last one he lists is the pride of life. The word here is humanism. This is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine matters. This is the one that I think uh, exceeds the Joneses, right? We don't want to just keep up with them. We're going to one-up the Joneses, right? This is that kind of idea. And this characteristic, the pride of life, uh, it creeps in so easy, doesn't it? I think of the quote, I think it's Benjamin Franklin who's attributed the quote, I'm just going to paraphrase it, where he says, you know, I've tried, I can try to kill my pride, and, and when I think I'm, I'm walking in humility right, I, I should find myself being prideful of my humility. I'm prideful of the fact that I killed my pride, right? And he has that kind of quote, and it's like that in life. The pride of life creeps in and wants to take credit always. You know, it's quite easy. If you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you walk away and you, and you rehash that argument in your mind, what are you doing? I'm going to turn this argument around so I can, man, I wish, wish I would have said this. What is that? That's pride. There it is. The pride of life creeps in. Donald Barnhouse shares this story. He says, some years ago, musicians noted that errand boys in a certain part of London all whistled out of tune as they went about their work. It was talked about, and some suggested that it was because the bells of Westminster were slightly out of tune. Something had gone wrong with the chimes, and, and they were uh, discontordant. The boys did not know anything was wrong. They just whistled along and did their work quite unconscious. Unconsciously, they realized that they were copying pitch that was out of tune. And he goes on to say, So we tend to copy the people with whom we associate. We borrow thoughts from the books we read and the programs to which we listen. Almost without knowing it, God has given us his word, which is the absolute perfect pitch of life and living. If we learn to sing by it, we shall easily detect the false in all of the music of the world. See, that's, that's how it is, right? The pride is always there. It always wants to take credit. It always wants to rewrite it to you're on top, to you're the best, to your argument wins. And pride wants to step in, and John is saying, have no part of this. To love God is to move away from the world. To love the world is to increasingly drift away from God. Right? It's not just a one-moment thing. These things can be demonstrated over and over again. It becomes easier 
And we begin to rationalize it. We begin to justify it. There's a quote that says, The world's smiles are more dangerous than its frowns. By the famous author, Unknown. That's a good quote. The world's smiles are more dangerous than its frowns. So he says, look, you're incompatible with the world. Here's why. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The second reason is, he says, the world is heading for destruction. This world is passing away, he says. The lust of it. He who does the will of God abides forever. The values, right, the world has. And we see this, unfortunately, in our society where they're trying to answer problems, right, by adding more problems. We'll fix our hate problem by producing more hate, right? We'll fix our racism problem with just more racism. And they continue to compound the problem. People are lost and broken. It's passing away. John is absolutely correct. It's passing away. The values are passing away. But he says, look, if you're here, believer, if you're a new believer, if you're a maturing believer, if you're a mature believer, you're staying away from the world, understand that's passing away, then he gives us this, this encouragement that he who does the will of God abides forever. If God is the object of your faith, right? If your love for the other believers is, is God, right? It's the idea that God's love, how he loves me, I can love others. If he is the object, we realize that we can abide forever. We stand in God's word. We grow in these things. My primary purpose is to enjoy God and glorify Him. I'm going to put that in God because He is constant. God is not going to pass away. God is not going to someday just not show up. He's going to be God. That's who He is. For Him not to do that is for Him to cease to be who His Word says He is. And so our challenge this morning as we look at this passage is, do we love God fervently? Do we have a love for Him? Do we have a love for His church Jesus challenged his disciples and he said, look, I want you to go out into the world. I want you to make you know, uh, disciples, right? And I want you to what? I want you to, to, to follow me. Be a witness is the word he uses, right? Tell others to come follow me. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Come follow me. This is what he tells his disciples. This is what he's telling us. And if that is the case and we feel that in us, then we were called to embrace the truth of the gospel. We must reject error. And even if the word reveals that we are wrong, we need to submit, repent, trust his word. If we are called to righteousness, we must turn from unrighteousness. If we are called to love God, we must turn from all lesser loves, right? And loyalties and place them squarely upon God. It's important to note here that you know, John, when we have these struggles and we work through these things, you remember the dear children, what does he say? That if you know Christ this morning, your sins are forgiven. God is more than able and just to forgive you. If you're struggling this morning and you're feeling that weight, God is able and just to forgive you. And then John says, look, this is the world. This is how the world functions. This is what you should not be seeing in your life. Be challenged by it. Grow in it. And here's, you know, hear the words of Jesus looking into your eyes saying, come follow me. And those moments of difficulty where we have that maybe we fall, maybe we have a bad day, the maturing believer repents of that sin, confesses it. Maybe it's time to build accountability, turn that corner and follow after him. 
And we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be ever being more conformed to our Savior. There's a pastor who one time said, there's examples of conformity are everywhere. He said, I remember looking into a fir tree, and part of that tree moved. It was a stick insect that blended into its surroundings. He went on to say, if people can tell the difference, or if they can't rather tell the difference between you and the rest of your peers, you have blended in. You have conformed to the world. Why is our growth in righteousness and love such an indicator? Because it is contrary to the world. John says, by way of encouragement, continue forward. Continue maturing. Let God move in you that he might move through you to bless others. Let's be encouraged by his word this morning. Let's